Jill and I, early in our marriage, I've shared with you, we had cars that were not always the best. And I remember we had this one car that really frustrated us. I mean, it had several problems. It was one of our newer cars, one of the nicer cars we'd had while we were married, but it needed new tires and it needed a new clutch. And it also needed a new radio because the cassette deck didn't work. And we were frustrated because I totaled up all of the work that this car needed and it needed about $1,200 in repairs. About $1,200 in repairs. And it had some scratches and dents on the outside and some stains on the seats on the inside. And so Jill and I did something that seemed really smart to us at the time. We went out and we bought a used car. It was about five years newer than our old one. It looked better. It smelled better. And it had nice tires and everything seemed to work. So for the first time in our married life, we entered into a car payment. And we solved the problem of our car needing $1,200 in repairs by borrowing $6,000. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it wasn't long after that that we experienced the joy of having to make or to pay for car repairs on a car that you're making monthly car payments on. Now, I'm a fairly intelligent person. You would think I would have figured out that $1,200 in repairs is cheaper than buying a car for $6,000. And if you believe I'm an intelligent person, you would think that that one experience years ago would have been enough for me to never repeat that mistake ever again. But I haven't been that intelligent. See, many times I have rationalized foolish decisions in my finances, and I'm guessing you have too. Many people have rationalized foolishness in their relationships, in their careers, in their hobbies, and in many other areas. And you can probably think of some people you know who have done that. Have you ever had a friend or a family member sit across from you and explain to you in detail why the choice they were making was really, really smart when it sounded to you like it was really dumb? Have you ever been explaining in detail to a friend or a family member a choice you made and why it was a really, really, really smart choice and you saw the look on their face and it indicated that they thought it was really dumb? Yeah, I've done that too. You see, the truth is we've all probably been guilty of rationalizing foolish choices. So we should already know that rationalizing foolish choices is a great way to wreck your life. It's a great way to wreck your life. And so far in this series, we have looked at three ways to totally wreck, to completely ruin your life. We have seen focusing on what feels good and running after riches and isolating yourself are all great ways to ruin your life. And all of those messages were taken from the first half of Solomon's journal. In those chapters, we saw a man in despair 
He was discouraged and he was depressed and he seemed like he was pretty much hopeless. And his depressing writing in those chapters may have been a direct response to God's harsh rebuke in 1 Kings chapter 11. God promised Solomon that most of the kingdom would be ripped from his family line because of his sin of idol worship from the influence of his wives and his support of their worshiping other gods. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he would pay the price. And his choice uh, to allow his wives to lead him astray cost him and cost Israel and cost his family. But today we are going to move into the second half of Solomon's journal that we call Ecclesiastes. And we will uh, see a shift in the writing and in the mindset of Solomon. His focus returns to wisdom, something that we haven't heard him talk much about so far in the book. And Solomon will use the terms wise and wisdom 35 times in the second half of his journal. I, I think it's because he is starting his journey back to God, to the place where he had been in his younger days. And this might be why his writing style seems to change from the narrative style that we've seen in Ecclesiastes to a proverbial style, brief, crisp, simple sounding statements that offer uh, insightful principles for handling life. He returns to the same style of writing that he had used while writing the book of Proverbs. And it appears that God's correction in 1 Kings 11 caused his despair in the first half of Ecclesiastes, but eventually it opened his eyes to his evil ways and it caused him to repent and to look uh, to wisdom from above again rather than through the eyes of cynicism. It's as if he decided to return to wisdom as a way of life. Early in his life, in Proverbs chapter 3, he had said this, happy is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. Wisdom is worth more than silver. It brings more profit than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you could want is equal to it. In his old age, Solomon again understands the value of wisdom. But, you know, I'm wondering if we realize that wisdom and knowledge are really two different things. Wisdom and knowledge are really two different things. Wisdom is being aware of something and having information to use it rightly. Knowledge is really about facts and ideas that we acquire through study and research and investigation and observation or experience. Wisdom is the ability to discern and judge which aspects of that knowledge are true and right and lasting and applicable to your life. Knowledge is not wisdom. And true wisdom is not man-made, it's God-given. True wisdom is God-given. So wisdom gives us the ability to use knowledge correctly. And if we don't have wisdom from God, we can't use knowledge correctly. And Solomon has made several foolish mistakes in his life. He has decided that he knew better than God, that he didn't have to listen to God. And as a result, he completely wrecked his life. 
But now in his old age, he's again determined to find wisdom and to make changes so that he can recover after wrecking his life by rationalizing foolish choices. Look at what he says in chapter 7, verse 25. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is madness. So let's again learn from Solomon's search. And let's hopefully avoid some of the traps that can wreck your life. And uh, let's start by looking at the problem of talking yourself into foolish choices. Talking yourself into foolish choices. We'll spend most of our time today in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or uh, the scriptures that we'll use will also be on the screen and in your notes. But as I've said, we've all become pretty good at explaining why a foolish choice that we want to make is not foolish after all. We've all become good at talking ourselves in to foolish choices. And as the old saying goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This isn't new. And so I want to quickly review some of the things that we say that sound smart but might lead to foolishness. And in Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon gives us wisdom for each of these statements. The first is, it doesn't matter what people think of me. It doesn't matter what people think of me. Now, this one's a good one to start with because it has a ring of truth in it. And if you're living your life for the approval of people, if you're constantly trying to make everyone think good things about you and, and trying to impress them, you will find that's a trap. And you'll also find it's impossible to achieve. But some use this line when they're trying to rationalize foolish choices. I mean, they're going to do some things that they know are dangerous or things that they know are wrong and they know that their friends or their family members will disapprove of that. And so they say, well, it doesn't matter what others think of me, what people think of me. But look at what Solomon says. In verse 1 of chapter 7, he says, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. Now, a good reputation is more than just people thinking good things about you. A good reputation is more than just what people think about you. It is really a reflection of your character. Your reputation is a reflection of your character. It is who you really are. It's who you are when no one's looking. And you may have the reputation for being thoughtful or dependable or generous or trustworthy. Or on the flip side, you could have the reputation for being selfish or dishonest or lazy or angry. A good reputation is worth more than costly perfume because a person with a good name is honored way more than a person who smells good and looks good but has a bad reputation. You see, your reputation both precedes you and follows you. People tend to figure out who you really are deep down and they tell others. Another statement people sometimes make when they're rationalizing foolish choices is, you only live once. 
You only live once. How many times have you heard someone say that just before they do something really foolish? You know, they're getting ready to do something really dumb and they say, well, you only live once. Now, I know people find it fun to jump out of perfectly good airplanes because they only live once. But here's the deal. If you ever see me jumping out of a plane with a parachute on, you should probably strap a parachute to your back and jump too because the only time I plan to do that is if the airplane is going down and I hope, I'm hoping to continue this one time I have on earth. Solomon says this, a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. An interesting verse, a wise person Thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now, I don't think that Solomon is saying that a wise person is a morbid person who is just fixated on dying, and they're always thinking about death and dying. But I do think that he is saying that wise people think about the future. Wise people think through not just how to have a good time, but how to have a long time to have a good time. How to have a long time to have a good time. And if Jesus comes back tomorrow, I am fine uh, going to heaven with him. But if he doesn't, I still have many things that I want to do in this life. Wise people have a plan and a strategy for how they're going to accomplish everything that they think God wants them to do and how they're going to have fun while they're doing it. And so don't let you only live once be an excuse for doing foolish things. Instead, let it be motivation for doing everything that God has put you here on earth to do. This next one was made uh, popular by a comedian, but it's proven to be true for many people. It says, flattery will get you everywhere. Flattery will get you everywhere. Now, you might know that the original saying was, flattery will get you nowhere. But it seems today many people really are swayed by flattery. They're really swayed by flattery, and this isn't new. Look at what Solomon says in verses 5 and 6. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaningless. Now, these verses are similar to what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. That's not in your notes, but in that verse he says, The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you. But the kisses of an enemy are nothing but lies. His sentiment is similar in both of these verses, and I think so is our reaction. We read those verses and something just doesn't sit right with us. I mean, we don't want to be criticized by wise people. We don't want to be slapped by friends. We would rather be praised and kissed and have people like us and laugh with us. But Solomon's saying something really important here. Those who are always saying really nice things about you, who are constantly telling you exactly what it is you want to hear, they may be helping you rationalize foolish choices in your life. They may be flattering you into making foolish choices. And the friends who care enough to question your choices or to confront your attitudes and actions that they think are dangerous, the slaps of a friend, the criticism of wise people, 
they, those people really are the ones that God has sent into your life to help you make wise and right choices. You see, flattery may be more fun, but it's also more dangerous. The next common saying that helps us rationalize foolish choices is you can never be too rich. You can never be too rich. Look at what verse 7 says. Solomon writes, even wise people are fools if they let money change their thinking. Even wise people are fools if they let money change their thinking. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we spent a whole message on this topic, but think about it for a minute. Has money ever changed your thinking or your decision on anything? I know people who've compromised their convictions and done something they knew was wrong in order to get ahead and work and make more money. I have known pastors and elders who have changed decisions that they felt God had led them to make because a person who gave a lot of money threatened to leave the church. And I'm going to tell you, that will never happen here while I or our current elders are leading. And I have known men who have lost their relationships with their kids because they thought earning money was more important than spending time with their kids. And letting money change your thinking is always a sign of rationalizing foolishness. Anytime you let money change your thinking, you are rationalizing foolishness. Let's go on. Here's a common quote for rationalizing foolishness. I don't get mad, I get even. I don't get mad, I get even. Now, let's stop long enough to say that the person who says this usually has a really good reason for being angry. They usually have a good reason for being angry. I mean, they've been hurt by somebody. And the situation usually is sincerely unfair. And it might have hurt their family. And it could have changed their lives for years to come. And they're angry. But they don't like how helpless they feel or how powerless they feel while angry. And so they say, I don't get mad. I get even. And that might sound normal or even wise to many people around them because we've all been hurt with unfair hurts and we all want to get revenge. But according to Solomon, it isn't wise. Look at what he says in verse 9. Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. Anger labels you a fool. How many times do we look back at our anger and how we respond to it and we are just really embarrassed because we totally made a fool of ourselves in the moment while we were angry. I know that's happened to me many times. But I think looking at the same verse in the New International Translation might give us some additional insight. Here's what it says there. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger resides in the lap of fools. Now, this verse seems to indicate that uh, there are two types of anger that are foolish. The first uh, is anger that comes quickly. It is the times when you've reacted quickly with anger and rage, and then you found out that the situation was totally different than what you assumed it was, and you just reacted quickly. But notice that last phrase, anger resides in the lap of fools. What does that mean? Well, think about that for a minute. Think about when you hold something in your lap. I mean, you pick up your child or 
your grandchild and you put them in your lap. Or right now you may have a cup of coffee or a Bible or your notes in your lap. And if you do, you're probably very focused on whatever's in your lap. You don't want to drop it. You don't want to drop that child or that uh, cup of coffee or those notes on the floor. Or you have arranged whatever's on your lap so you know it won't fall off your lap. You have figured out a system to keep it there without focusing on it. And that's what happens with anger. It resides in the lap of fools. They either spend all their time focused on it so that they can hold on to it and never drop it, or their anger becomes such a comfortable part of who they are that it's just always there. They don't have to think about it anymore. It's not going to fall away from them because they are really comfortable with it and they aren't worried about it anymore. And either way, if your anger resides in your lap, Solomon has a name for you. Fool. Fool. For this next one, I listed two ways that we say Uh, The same thing that leads to rationalizing foolishness. It was better back then, or I miss those days. Do you remember when we used to laugh at our parents and our grandparents, uh, always talking about how good things used to be? We used to laugh at them and roll our eyes at them, but now we hear it not just from older people, but from young people. And if you don't believe me, just wait for the next time a social media platform like Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter makes a few changes. Or wait until they get a new iPhone. Suddenly people of all ages will be explaining how much better it was back then before the changes and how much, be- how much they miss those wonderful days of the past. I will also tell you this is a common thing to hear at church from people of all ages. Not just this church, every church. I mean, we hear, I miss those old hymns, or I wish we could go back to doing and then fill in the blank. Potluck dinners, or Christmas cantatas, or Sunday school classes, or any number of programs from the past. And Solomon gives us a very short proverb on this. He says, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. There are two reasons I can think of that make it unwise to long for the good old days. The first is this. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time because we can never go back in time. We can never experience them again. Our world has changed and so have we. And the second reason that it's unwise to long for the good old days is they weren't that good in the first place. They really weren't. They weren't that good in the first place. And there's nothing more effective than our fuzzy memories to make things from the past seem better than they really ever were. The good old days were full of problems. The good old days were full of stresses and frustrations too. And the good old days were filled with people who were wishing for their good old days. People have always looked back for the good old days. And so enjoying and thriving in what God is doing right now is wise. Constantly looking back and longing for the past is not wise. Let's look at one more statement that we make when we're rationalizing foolish choices. And that's, if it feels good, do it. 
If it feels good, do it. Now, there is no question that Solomon lived a good part of his life using this statement to rationalize foolish behavior. Remember earlier in the series, we mentioned that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. 700 wives and 300 mistresses. I think he probably lived his life by if it feels good, do it. And by the way, as a result of 700 wives and 300 mistresses, he sounds a little bitter towards women quite a bit in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes because of the way that his foolish choices affected his life. We see that a little bit in verse 26. Look at what it says. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. Her passion is a snare and her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. Solomon was a sinner caught in her snare 1,000 times. 1,000 times. But let's take away his slam on women, and let's admit that many people have rationalized foolish choices because they let passion become a snare in their lives. They were trapped by the fact that it felt so good, and they believed what that old song from the 70s said, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. From the very beginning of time, people have rationalized many foolish choices romantically and with chemicals and in other ways because they decided to live their life by the phrase, if it feels good, do it. But sometimes... What feels good leads us into a life of pain and loneliness and addiction and foolish choices. We need to move on. Solomon walks us through some Proverbs in this chapter and gives us hints at how to avoid wrecking our lives. But he ends the chapter with this verse. In verse 29, he says, One thing I have learned, God made people good, but they have found all kinds of ways to be bad. He says, after all my searching, after all my research, after searching for wisdom by doing really foolish things, I have discovered God made all of us good on the inside. God gave all of us virtue and goodness, but we have found all sorts of ways to screw that up. We have found all sorts of ways to rationalize our foolish and our sinful choices. But let's not quite end there. We have seen the problem of talking yourself into foolish choices. Now, let's see the solution of praying yourself into wise choices. Praying yourself into wise choices. Solomon said in verses 23 and 24, I have always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. Solomon was really trying to be wise. He really wanted to let wisdom guide both his thoughts and his behaviors, but the more he tried to lean on his own understanding, the more that he figured out, uh, tried to figure out things on his own, he began to understand that wisdom is distant and it's difficult. True wisdom is hard to find and it seems like it's always just outside of our grasp. You know, it might have helped Solomon 
to remember what he had written earlier in his life. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, he said, Only the Lord gives wisdom. He gives knowledge and understanding. He had the answers right in his own writings. No matter how hard he tried to be wise and to understand everything, he couldn't. He couldn't until he turned back to God. Until he let God give him the wisdom and understanding he needed. If you remember early in his life, God had said to Solomon, Solomon, you just ask and I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And Solomon had received uncommon wisdom in the beginning because he asked God for it. And God had granted it to him. And I want you to hear something really clearly today. That's still where true wisdom is found. That is still where true wisdom is found. I want to point out two key truths. The first is this. God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom. Look at what James chapter 1 verse 5 says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Just like God was pleased when Solomon asked for wisdom. He will be pleased if you ask him to give you wisdom. The verse is very clear. If you want wisdom, just ask God and he will give it to you. He will give it to you. He's not going to be upset with you for asking. He's not going to feel inconvenienced. God wants to help you avoid foolish choices in your life by giving you wisdom. And there are many ways that God will reveal his wisdom to you when you ask him for wisdom. He'll give you wisdom as you read the Bible and as you pray. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, a verse you've read many times before will just jump out and you will realize that it contains exactly the wisdom from God that you need for your current situation or through prayer we will sense God leading us to make good and godly choices he also gives us wisdom sometimes through other people sometimes through a message like this one but most times through wise people in our growth group or wise people in our lives who know Jesus and who are following him fully one of the key ways that we gain wisdom from God is by listening to the right voices in our life. We need to convince ourselves and train ourselves to listen to the right voices in our life. Listen to others who are further along in their spiritual journey than you are. Or to people who have been trained in the area that you need help in. And can I just reinforce that most times the wise voices in our world are not the loudest voices in our world. The wise voices are not always the loudest voices. Look at what Solomon says in chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. Words of wisdom spoken softly make much more sense than the shouts of a ruler to the crowd of fools. Wisdom is more powerful than weapons, yet one mistake can destroy all the good you have done. Wisdom often comes from the soft voice of someone who really cares for you rather than the loudest voices in your life, the voices with an agenda, the voices who are trying to convince you to do something they want you to do. And when we grasp that, that wisdom, 
when we grasp that wisdom really comes into our life in that way and we put it into action in our life, it's a powerful weapon. Wisdom's a powerful weapon. But as the verse says, it's easy to make mistakes and one mistake can send you all the way back to the starting point and make you begin all over again. So God wants to give you wisdom, but the second truth is also important. God wants to receive your loyalty. He wants to receive your loyalty. Look at the rest of the passage from James that told us to ask God for wisdom and he would give it. He goes on to say, but, okay, let's stop a minute. When you read that word in scripture, the word but, it means that a condition is coming. So ask God for wisdom and he will give it. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalties is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Make sure your faith is in God alone. Too often we want God to be uh, involved but we want our skills and our plans and our wisdom and we want to do it our way. We end up having half of our faith in God and half of our faith in our plan. And so uh, he wants our faith to be in him alone. He wants us to trust him completely and he doesn't want us to waver. He doesn't want us to decide that he's being too slow and so I have to take charge and trust in myself again or in others. We can't have divided loyalty. With God, it really is all or nothing. We find that over and over in Scripture. It really is all or nothing. If we want his wisdom and we want his help in our life, we have to trust his wisdom and we have to do life his way in all areas. We have to be completely loyal to him. And too many people are trying to make God just one part of their life. They're trying to make him one aspect of who they are. And they're trying to have his peace and his love when it's convenient, while living their life making whatever choices they want to make most of the time. They want to be able to have Jesus as their crisis manager. When they get into a crisis in their life, they want Jesus to be there, and they kind of want him to leave them alone when there is no crisis. And folks, it does not work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you do it that way, you will have divided loyalty and you will be unstable in everything that you do. And when you have half your faith in Jesus and half your faith in the world, you should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's what the passage says. But why would you do it that way? God's wisdom is just one prayer away and one commitment away. You ask him for wisdom and you commit yourself to living according to his wisdom in all situations every day of your life. That's what I've decided to do. What will you decide? What will you do? You can do this. You can ask God for wisdom and you can commit yourself to trusting him fully and living according to his wisdom every day of your life.